Welcome to Head to Toe, stories from the history and future of healthcare. Hello and welcome to Head to Toe, a healthcare podcast, and this is Hearing Myself Talk, Volume 3. I'm your host, Marie McMillan, and this episode I am guestless, which is totally fine because I talked to 11 people in December and recorded 11 different conversations and smashed them together for best stories. So I'm cool with not having a guest this month, and we'll go ahead and do a Hearing Myself Talk, Volume 3. Quick reminder to start that the podcast is brought to you by Lux Pillow. Get your best sleep today with a dreamy luxury pillow at luxpillow.com. Seriously, go check it out. Take a nap. You won't regret it. We're going to do a couple different segments today. And to start, we're going to do the healthcare news roundup. Story number one. We're going to talk about the sexual assault of a patient in a nursing home in Arizona, resulting in the surprise birth of a baby. If you're in healthcare, I'm sure you heard about this. A, a woman in her, I want to say late 20s, early 30s, who had been a patient at this nursing home for over a decade, for a long time, was assaulted sexually by an employee, resulting in her pregnancy and the surprise delivery of her child nine months later. And it's crazy. You should go and listen to the 911 phone call of, of the staff saying that this woman's having a baby. They didn't even know that she was pregnant. And this, of course, just has a whirlwind of thoughts from everyone out there who learned about it. I mean, I have so many thoughts. My first thought is, one, the perpetrator deserves a special place in hell, including castration. And two, how terrible for this child when it grows up and learns of the story of his or her origin. I mean, Yikes. And and three, good God, how many other invalid people in dependent care does this happen to? I mean, the evidence of it happening was there in infant form this time. But of, of course, it happens to people of non-childbearing age. And when anything, any big sentinel event, quote unquote, happens like this, it makes everyone in healthcare and administration and management and the nightmare that, that comes from sentinel events go, how do we prevent this in the future? I mean, how do we make people not be sexual predators? How do we not hire assholes? How do we do our background checks better? I, I don't know, guys. I don't have the answer. The second thought I have is of, you know, what me and my my healthcare tribe talk about. All the nurses I work with, they thought, how could she, how could they know she's not pregnant? It's a very common question I've heard when people talk about this story. How could the nurses and the staff not notice that this woman was pregnant? And I think that there is validity to that question. You know, how could you not know? But secondly, I have worked in long-term care and I did take care of some young childbearing women who were in an invalid state. And I got to say, for my very short stint in, in working in a nursing home, I could kind of see them missing a few cues. Part of it has to do with staffing. They take care of 20, 30, 40 different patients at one time. They aren't you know, really there to do very complex head to toe assessments. And honestly, of, of the women who are who are of childbearing age, which is a very small minority of people in nursing homes, I gotta say, we don't really keep track of their menses. I mean, I remember writing down once in a while if a patient who fit that category was, you know, having a period that month. But honestly, we, it was not a priority to keep track of. So I could see if that was the one way that you could 
keep track of someone's, you know, pregnancy status or non-status, that that would get missed. But, you know, then there are, of course, other indicators like the person's abdomen. So it, it's hard to say. Of course, we, we, we won't ever know because of HIPAA. And, you know, thank God for that woman and her family that she's going to have protected healthcare privacy. And it's just, it's a whole big mess. And it's, and it's awful. And, it just begs so many questions. And of course, then there's the there's the devil's advocate side of, well, that young woman has been institutionalized more than half her life. Shame on the parents and the family for putting her in that situation in the first place. Those words did not come out of my mouth. Did I think them? Not in so many words, but it is something that jaded, experienced healthcare workers out there, you know, might think or say when they hear about this this story. And again, it's just a whirlwind of sadness. And all I can say is I, I hope the child is healthy. I hope it has a good place to go to. Um, I'm glad they arrested the delinquent healthcare provider who's obviously not working there anymore and hopefully has his license revoked. And I hope justice is served to that disgusting individual and that the family gets some reparations through it. And that woman and that, and that, that poor woman who is living in a different institution at this time. Okay, wrapping up that terrible, sad story. Um, second story I have to talk about is the longest government shutdown in U.S. history to date until February 15th, when hopefully we won't go through this song and dance all over again. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a political nut. I, I, I keep reading all the news associated with every, with the, the shutdown, and I kept thinking, well, I wonder how this affects the healthcare system. Does, does the VA get affected at all? Does DHS, I mean, certainly people's mental health out there and ability to pay their medical bills, child care. There's 800,000 federal workers that were that were affected by this by the shutdown. I was not personally financially affected other than being superbly embarrassed for our country. Okay, so I had to do a bit of research to see how it actually directly affected health care. It turns out Veterans Affairs and the Department of Veterans Affairs and Health was not affected. According to a report by the New York Times, some government labs were closed, scientists were sent home disrupting, disrupting research, and the flow of grant money slowed to some of those labs that were working on healthcare. The CDC and the NIH were not affected, but Fish and Wildlife and the National Weather Service sent many workers home. So that could have sort of an indirect effect on people's healthcare at large, certainly with the big storms that are happening in the Midwest right now, you know, people's general health and wellness related to weather-related activities and, and travel across the nation. And with fish and wildlife, you know, I've heard a lot about inspections and seafood and, you know, generally eating healthy things that don't have Giardia in it. Oh, yeah, that's my next note is uh, FDA food inspectors. This is something I heard on NPR were furloughed um, in charge of inspecting seafood, fruit, and vegetables. Okay, there's definitely some, uh, you know, E. coli-related outbreaks that might be missed in relation to that, perhaps. I hope not. Here's another quote from that same New York Times article. The EPA furloughed most of its employees in charge of inspecting pollution and monitoring compliance. So air quality, that certainly applies to people's health. Additionally, the Violence Against Women Act funds programs for survivors of domestic violence. That expired during the shutdown. So their payment system for programs that got funded by that act got interrupted. Oh yeah, don't forget SNAP benefits were put in danger. Did you know that 40 million Americans are on the SNAP program, otherwise known as food stamps? That's one in eight Americans. 
I can't even. I can't. I can't talk about that. It's, that's horrible. And I, I, I'm really glad the government is up and running again. And hopefully all of these programs continue to be funded because, you know, it may not be your doctor who is furloughed and can't provide you with the health care, but health is related to so many other things, air quality, traffic, weather, travel throughout the United States, water quality, food quality, safety, public safety, so many things. If you think about your health and related to everything else around it, the world you live in, your your small community, your family, but also the nation at large and how your direct zip code is related to everyone else and all the other working parts of the country. It's it's kind of mind-blowing. And as embarrassing as it was, I'm glad we got over it. And hopefully we can have a bipartisan effort moving forward. Okay, third story in the Healthcare News Roundup is related to the measles outbreak in southwest Washington. According to a Washington Post article posted today, Wednesday, January 30th, at the time of recording, there are 40 cases confirmed of measles, 38 in southwest Washington in the greater Vancouver area, one in Portland and one in Seattle, and 13 more suspected cases. Most of the confirmed cases are children under 10 years old, and the majority of cases, quote, all but a handful, were not immunized. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to reel it in here, reel it in. Gosh, these, I picked really negative stories to share before this is, this is depressing. Um most of the healthcare workers that I work with, nurses, doctors, physicians, therapists, everyone has a tiny little immunization soapbox like hearing about this a lot of the people and this is in the area that I work work in. I I live and work in Portland, Oregon and it's kind of a small hotbed for anti-vaxxers it's just not something I like and not something I really like to meet head-on with people or discuss because I feel like a lot of the people who are anti-vaxxers out there in the community I'm not gonna I am not gonna be able to change their minds I'm not I'm not gonna be able to change their minds I could sit there and talk until my face is blue but that's what they believe whether it be religious or not religious but I don't feel like anything that comes out of my mouth is going to change their minds especially if nothing out of the mouths of their physicians are going to change their minds or their pediatricians or anything else you know they're not they're obviously not listening to that or science so if I can't change that then I just got to roll my eyes and move on but then here we are with a big outbreak of measles which by the way has mostly been eradicated in the United States because guess what the vaccine is 98% effective 98% guys there's a thing called herd immunity and I'm not going to get into it and I'm not going to get all sciencey all I'm going to say is if I can't change your mind then hopefully somebody else's kid who's in the hospital right now who's miserable with a fever a terrible rash and possibly some really terrible respiratory compromise will change your mind because that could be your kid that could be your grandchild it could be your niece your nephew it could be somebody you're close to and really love and be suffering because of this and you know it might make you even more mad is that let's say you don't want to vaccinate your kids for whatever reason but then they're exposed to other people who are sick then you got to feel guilt for not protecting your own kids I can't, I'm only just starting to sort of understand and get tiny bits of what parent guilt is because I have a tiny human growing in me 
and it's already started, I can't imagine what it's like having a 10-year-old in the hospital, knowing that you consciously gave up that choice to protect your kid from illness, and then here you are. Again, for whatever reason, it it could be religious, it could be non-religious, whatever it is. If anyone out there has any sort of sentiments of, well, I don't know, I just don't know if the science is there, or whatever your reason for not believing in vaccinations, I just hope that this story of measles outbreak in the Pacific Northwest might make you think twice, read a little bit more, listen a bit, little bit more closely to the people around you and perhaps the medical providers in your life. Okay, I have to step off the soapbox. I can't anymore. Let's move on to perhaps more positive news stories that might make you smile. According to a story on modernhealthcare.com, a stranded seal made its way from the sea through a Newfoundland town to a local hospital front entrance. Yes, there is a photo attached to this podcast episode. A group of seals were stranded by a quirk of nature. Let's see. They were stranded by a wider-than-usual expanse of sea ice, making it difficult to return to the water. So these, this group of 10 spotted seals showed up all over town. A town of 1,000, Roddickton Bide Arm. Newfoundland. They were seen in parks, schools, yards. (laughs) Employees from the Department of uh, Fishery and Oceans safely returned them to sea. Perhaps they were trying to tell the people about global warming. Another positive story at the end of our healthcare news roundup here. Um, This is a story from modernhealthcare.com as well, and the title goes, Young Patient Delivers Award-Winning Hospital Gown Design. Ramona Dietrich's hospital gown is out of this world and award-winning. The 12-year-old shared her love for the arts in a solar system-themed gown that won a design competition sponsored by the Duncan Joy and Childhood Foundation. Ramona's design was selected out of 6,000 entries. She said, I tried to think of something that would be good for girls and boys that would make them feel happy. I love drawings where things that wouldn't usually have a face have a face. Um, Ramona is a patient at Lori, excuse me, uh, Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago, where she is being treated for a congenital heart defect. She had her 16th surgery soon after learning her gown was selected for the contest. I think that's so cool. I, I get so bored with the green checkered pattern that I put on adults all the time. It's, it's kind of fun when I have a patient who's really tiny enough that I have to call the pediatric ward and say, hey, can you send over a gown? I need a really small gown. And they always come with kind of cool little patterns. Um, so that's so that's really cool. They had a design contest and, and the ki- a kid, one of the patients won. That's really awesome. So kudos for Mona. In other news that's not news, nurses and physicians and therapists and healthcare professionals at large continue to work their butts off despite staffing shortages, angry patients and families, microscopic lunch breaks, and minimal administrative support and understanding. This, of course, is a blanket statement and does not apply to everyone out there listening. But To those of you that it does resonate with, thank you for being you, for taking care of the sick people out there, i.e. children with measles who didn't choose to forego vaccination themselves, and thank you for delivering quality healthcare amidst struggle. I hope you all continue to find the passion and silver linings in your work, and I hope you consider sharing it with the podcast. Okay, second segment, AMA stories. Okay, so I started this thing on my social media, which is mostly Facebook and LinkedIn, 
where I post sort of an image with uh, a little phrase to try to get listeners and followers thinking about stories they might have about a certain subject. And it decided that I would do it monthly. And in January, I posted a, a picture of a woman with her hands sort of raised up in the air. And the title of the photo was, when you think about patients leaving AMA, and then I sort of explained what I wanted. And why am I explaining a social media post to you guys? That's crazy. Just go go look at it. Anyway, um, I was sort of surprised by the responses I got. I, I thought there would be a litany of comments about, well, this patient had to leave for a drug deal. And, you know, this other patient had to go home to feed her cat. Things like things like that that are sort of ridiculous. But the replies I got were, were actually quite serious and um, thought-provoking, and I really wanted to share it with you guys. Um, there's two. The first one is from Ashley, and I got this from LinkedIn, and I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Um, so in response to that AMA stories post, she, Ashley says, I'm usually frustrated, but I had one patient who taught Bible to his Sunday school class every Sunday morning. He knew he didn't have a lot of time left, so he didn't want to spend Sundays in the hospital. So he would come when he was sick, but leave AMA on Saturdays. It was very frustrating at first, but then when we found out why, it became humbling. You never really know until you dig down deep. There are many social, cultural obligations our patients feel the pressure of that we may be oblivious to. So thank you, Ashley. That's That was really thought-provoking, and, and I thought, you know, we, we do get kind of used to, like, the ridiculous excuses and people throw out there for leaving AMA like I'm not getting enough pain medicine or your food's terrible or the nurses here are really mean and that's just kind of putting it nicely so thanks Ashley for your comment the second one is from Katrina and this is on Facebook she says there are so many things we must cope with in nursing and this is one of the first things I had to try and quote get over working in healthcare I was very upset with my first AMA patient and spoke with coworkers. they gave me good perspective People, patients included, are going to do what they want. I can tell them their options and steps to improve their health, safety, and quality of life, but I can't force them to do any of our medical suggestions. I also had to accept that my care was at the level it should have been, and I had done my job well. Their leaving was not something I needed to internalize as, quote, my fault. I think that's a really good point, too. Sometimes we try really hard for patients to, to get better and just, you know, we try to lead them to water, but we can't make them drink it, right? And, and that goes for patients who, who even do follow medical advice and, and our direction. You know, sometimes we lose. Despite doing everything, sometimes we lose. And I just, I really liked that last sentence of patients leaving AMA is not something we need to internalize as our fault. And I think that's important in thinking about longevity in healthcare and, you know, getting through your work day or your work night or your work week and you know not bringing it home to your family yourself and making sure that you're going to be refreshed and going back and taking care of all the other patients as well so thanks katrina for that comment okay my third and final segment is pitch fest this is a quick summary of things i recommend to the listeners out there uh, my recommendation to listen to is the dr death podcast I don't, if there are people out there who haven't heard this, because if you're listening to my podcast, you probably listen to other podcasts. And if you haven't listened to Dr. Death, well, I think I just ruined your weekend because that's what you're going to be listening to. It's sort of true crime. Well, it's not sort of true crime. It is true crime with a healthcare lens into this neurosur- neurosurgeon who lived in Dallas and essentially his incompetence, quote unquote, or questionably was it his murderous desire, 
ended up leaving 13 patients dead. So yeah, go listen to it. It's a it's a fantastically produced podcast. All right, my next recommendation is to watch is Sex Education on Netflix. Really cool kind of themed coming of age story about mental health and being a teenager. And it's kind of Breakfast Club-y, but it has a really funny way of thinking about sex education in, in our youth today. And it's through the lens of, of a kid named Otis, and he is the son of a sex therapist played by Julian Anderson, a.k.a. Scully from The X-Files. And it's just really great that, you know, his mom is trying to be invasive in his life and asking him about his masturbatory habits. And he's like, Mom, oh my God, leave me alone. But, you know, with a, a British accent. And anyway, it, it was really fun, really well told, great storytelling. I, I would totally recommend it. That's Sex Education on Netflix. Uh, my next suggestion to read is a book called Polio, an American Story by David Oshinsky, which won a Pulitzer Prize in history in 2005. And just talking about the measles outbreak and vaccination kind of reminded me of this book. It's a thick book. It's it's definitely 500 plus pages, so definitely not for the person out there who hates nonfiction. But it's kind of a success story about the American people and how we collectively came together as a nation and decided that we were gonna beat a disease. And they did that by funding research for the vaccine. Anyway, it was it was a really great story and you know I'm a giant nonfiction nerd and I really love David Oshinsky's writing. So for those of you out there who are interested in medical history stories and like nonfiction, I think that's that's a really great read. That's again, that's Polio an American Story by David Oshinsky. And my last suggestion for Pitchfest is to donate to Henry's Red Tricycle Brigade. Okay. Henry was a special kid who was diagnosed with infant leukemia at 12 months. He spent a short three years, 10 months, and 11 days with us, but he made a big impact. Now, I never met Henry, but I have met Henry's family, and I have helped with one of Henry's annual red tricycle toy drives. Thousands of toys are donated in Henry's honor and on his birthday, February 9th. They get donated to Randall Children's Hospital in Portland, Oregon. And you still have time to contribute to Henry's fifth annual Red Tricycle Toy Drive. If you feel moved to help out after hearing this, you can purchase toys for the drive and help us make sick kids and their families' lives just a little bit brighter. And you don't have to be in the Portland area to do this. You can donate from anywhere. Check the show notes for the link to Henry's Amazon wish list to purchase a toy and it'll be delivered to the hospital on February 9th. Find out more at redtricyclebrigade.com. Okay, folks, that is all I have for Hearing Myself Talk, Volume 3. I'm going to have a guest next month in February, so stay tuned for that. And again, as always, feel free to reach out to me, macmillanpages at gmail.com. Find all of my work at mariemacmillan.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, the things. Check it out. And, and I want to hear your stories. Truly, I do. I want to hear everyone's stories. Good, bad, ugly, vaxxer, anti-vaxxer. Just, yeah, if you have a story you want to share on the podcast, email me. We'll figure out a way to get it on. Again, thank you for listening. This is Head to Toe. The music from today's podcast was brought to you by Wesley Price and brought to you by Rhombus Rare. Thanks for your support. Until next time, take care. Bye.